We have some staffing news, a big tournament, and a major recap all this week on the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again, episode number 203 of the Indie Bar Report podcast. I'm Nick, he's Will, and I gotta be honest, I just looked through this big notebook I have, it's a five-subject notebook that I use to write all the notes and topics and stuff of everything down in, and I didn't realize how long I've been using this notebook for. The first episode in this notebook is episode 73, so we've come a long way in this notebook. Oh, are you gonna, Are you running out of papers in the notebook? Ah, uh, I actually am doing pretty decent. I have a whole, like, because you, know, you know, like, how the five subjects are divided. I still have a whole subject left, so I guess I got, I probably got about a quarter of this notebook left, you know. Yeah. Anywhere from, like, a quarter to a fifth. So I think I'm doing pretty all right. It's, got, it's had a good life. Yeah, no, I think I could probably ride this baby into the start of, uh, into the start of the season. If I could get my Love previews that. done in this, I'll be very happy. There we go. Yeah, so uh, with that, I mean, we do have some news this week. Obviously, the big thing is finally uh, following through on what we promised at the end of last year, meaning the December episode when we did the Q&A, and I had said, yeah, I know we mentioned we were going to do all of these uh, division recaps. We're going to do them in the new year. We're finally getting around to the first of them, and hopefully we can manage to do them all, do one a week from here on out. This week it's going to be Frontier League West. Next week will be Frontier League East. So that's something to look forward to. But before we get to that, we do have news that we have to get to and we have to discuss. And that starts in Hinchcliffe Stadium over in Patterson, New Jersey, where the Johnny Briggs Classic is going to be held, the high school classic as it is. And uh, there's going to be five games played in one day at Hinchcliffe Stadium. And it's going to feature some of the best uh, high school teams in the greater New Jersey area. And then there's also, I believe, two schools that are from outside of New Jersey that are going to come in, and one in particular that's kind of far away. And uh, the main reason why I mentioned this this week isn't so much because it directly relates to indie ball, but it is, I think, a great stress test for Hinchcliffe Stadium and their new field and everything that comes along with it because we were playing five games from a, a, from 10.30 in the morning to 7.30 at night's the last first pitch time, so I think fairly reasonable to say till at least... Uh, nine o'clock, nine thirty at night. It's gonna be very interesting to see how this field winds up holding up over that time frame. I agree with that. I think it's a good test. They've put a lot of work into the field and I assume that, that that's going to be fine. I mean five games is a lot. Yeah. Uh, I mean you usually don't see five. You might see like three or something like that. Mm. But I think that more importantly, it's it's a it's a way for the Jackals to kind of, you know, say that, hey, we're here. Like, and try and get out. And of course, like, I'm not saying that everybody's from Patterson. Of course, one of the schools is, but, uh, yep. but I think that it's important to kind of expand, uh, expand like kind of your reach. And while like the, the people aren't really going, you'd, you'd think that most aren't going there to see the stadium for, for the high school games and most are just coming to watch. You're hoping to try and get like a repeat customer and try and get people to come back. Um, at, at some point, so I think it's long term. It's a it, it's it's a good strategy that you hope will help out New Jersey people. Will know that if you can host a matchup between Don Bosco Prep and Bergen Catholic in any sport, it's going to be a fun time. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why they put that game as the nightcap game there, and we'll go through each of the matchups in a second. But I do agree with uh, what you're saying, Will, in that it's about getting people into the stadium, seeing the thing, and just kind of, I guess, getting used to going to Patterson, getting used to seeing the area, going there, and trying to get those, you know, people from greater Passaic County. Obviously, Patterson is in Passaic County, but to try and get people from all over there, try to reach into Bergen County, as is seen with some of the schools that are listed here, mainly uh, St. Mary, St. Joe's, Don Bosco, and Burton Catholic, you know, to try and expand into that, like, okay, let's try and get these those schools from there, maybe see if we can't draw some more Essex County in as well, just try and get them in there. I completely agree with that expansion there. And I, I do think a lot of it, too, is just, I'm just so curious to see how this stadium's going to hold up and how we're really going to get to see for the first time uh, this, uh, this stadium for baseball, too. And we're going to get to see a little bit from obviously high school is significantly different from professional baseball, but even still, it's going to be interesting to see that. And uh, I guess on that note, uh, some of the more important details about this, because I, I suppose that is important to say, is uh, the Johnny Briggs Classic is going to be held at Hinchcliffe, as we said, May 7th, uh, approximate uh, three months and a week or so from now, plenty of time if you want to go, you're in the New Jersey area, you want to go and see this thing, you have time to do so. Game 1 at 10.30 is going to be Passaic County Tech versus Eastside. Eastside is a Patterson school. At 12.45, you have St. Mary's and Rutherford versus Stony Brook. Uh, then at 3 o'clock, you have St. Joe's Montvale versus uh, Poly Prep. Then at 5.15, you have Citus uh, versus Bo Porter. And then the nightcap, as well said, is Don Bosco versus Bergen Catholic, which, as anyone really familiar with North Jersey sports will tell you, is uh, always a competitive game, whether that be football, whether that be hockey, whether that be basketball, whether that be baseball thing. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it's, it could be track for all you care, and it's going to be really hard fought. Those are two of the best uh, high schools in the state. So you're going to get that. St. Joe's is another really strong baseball program. They produce some major league talent as well. St. Mary's is another strong program. If you go to uh, our show notes, we have the link to the announcement for this uh, Johnny Briggs Classic. And it spells out everything there uh, as far as, you know, the the background of all these schools and what they've done as of recent. So uh, there's a lot of really good games here. A lot to be interested in. So if you aren't doing anything, maybe go over and check it out. You know, as far as getting people into the community, I think that kind of reaching into the community, you're also trying to get people to, who maybe your market that kind of scoff and say like, oh, well, the Jackals are in, in Patterson now, you know, that they'd come out to watch Bergen Catholic Don Bosco and they're like, wow, this actually isn't that bad. Mm. So, uh, and I think that's just an important piece that uh, it's a good idea to try and kind of get the Jackals um, and Hinchcliffe running on something that is not directly Jackals baseball, I think is a decent idea and a little bit getting it going a little bit earlier. You have a lot of time to prepare. Absolutely there. I I completely agree with that. And I think you do bring a good point in that it kind of uh, breaks up any sort of preconceived notion there. If you see like, okay, we got a lot of these kind of well-off, private schools coming into Paris to play it does kind of go okay well if they're going there maybe it's not as bad as i think it is and right. it opens up people's ideas so i think that's important too so uh, it's certainly something interesting there i think there's a lot more to it 
that may meet the surface. So it was worth mentioning. But on that note, we do have direct indie ball stuff, two staff pieces of news before we uh, get into our recap and review of the Frontier League West. And so with that, we'll jump right into it. And the first one is out of the Pioneer League, mainly Billings, Montana. They have replaced Jim Rickleman as their manager, as seemingly every Pioneer League manager has been, in case your name isn't Michael Schlatt. If you're Michael Schlatt, you're going to be in Missoula for the next half decade plus because you're really good at your job. So Jim Rickleman's gone, but Billy Horton is now in as Mustangs manager. He is 49. He played indie ball for a couple years in the late 90s, and most of his coaching experience is with the uh, Giants organization, Diamondbacks organization, other affiliate organizations as more lower-level coaches, coaching positions, hitting specialists, hitting coaches, a couple of years of being a manager in there. But obviously, there's managing in independent ball and managing in affiliate ball. There's two very different mindsets to go into that. And uh, he also does have some experience in summer college ball as well, too, I should mention. But overall, seems like a guy that's kind of new to managing in a situation, in a setup, where you're responsible for getting your guys, you're responsible for going out and winning games as opposed to going out and developing guys. So it'll be interesting to see how Billy does in this role. And obviously the Mustangs are coming off of a pretty good year, made the postseason, lost a very close game to Missoula, or a close series to Missoula rather. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of continue that success as now he's going to have to build his own team. Billings is going to have to build a team without having as well known of a commodity as their manager. As far as, I mean, the, the hire seems fine. Uh, you're right, not a lot of experience managing per se and more on the development end of things. And not that there isn't room for that either, especially at the Pioneer League level, where a lot, so much of the talent is based on, is based on developing younger guys uh, and trying to make them into better baseball players. But I, I think that's mostly a decent thing. I am curious, though, as far as Riggleman, it's more on the kind of taking the angle of, well, why isn't Riggleman coming back? I don't know. Like, was this supposed to be like a one-year thing with Riggleman at this point? Like, I don't know if he's going to do something else or yeah. if anything else is going on behind there. But I don't know. It's kind of interesting that he just rolled in. Uh, the good team made the playoffs, and now he's done. I would think it's probably – I would think it's more on Riggleman's end than, than the team. But uh, it is – it is interesting that after one year, I mean, unless Riggleman's just like, wow, this is a lot of work and I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, it could very well be that. I mean, he is a guy that's in, what, his 70s now? So, I mean, like, do you really want to keep doing this, especially when it's on the uh, Pioneer League level? It's one thing if a major league club's like, hey, why don't you come and either coach for us, like as a bench coach or manager, as opposed to an independent league team doing that, where you're doing a lot of uh, similar work, only obviously the scale's different. So it could be that. I also wonder, too, because we saw, like, Bobby Jenks came in. Now he's gone. We saw a couple of other really high-profile managing hires out of the uh, Pioneer League last year this time. We were making a comment about that, too, I remember. We were like, they're getting a lot of really good managers. This is getting a lot of press. So I almost wonder if there was, like, an agreement with a lot of these guys and with, like, the teams. Like, the league itself goes, we want you guys to really get a high level manager we want you to get a name major league baseball is going to help you find it even if it's only for one year get a guy in there that you can market around and get some you know publicity around and i almost wonder if that's kind of the setup here where it's like okay 
big names for one year, get headlines, get attention, try to get, you know, uh, people in seats. And then we'll cut them out because they're going to be too pricey in year two. And we'll hire somebody else here once we've already gotten people to come and see our product and go, oh, it's still fun. It's still enjoyable. It's still everything we remember it to be. I wonder if that was it. Yeah, it's it really was odd because it wasn't just Riggleman. This wasn't just a, a Riggleman kind of idea last year. I don't know. I, I think I think you bring up a good point that maybe it was just kind of, I wouldn't say it was put in writing that it was a one-year thing, but it's yeah. probably, you know, just thinking that there's a good chance this could be like a just a one-year thing. And for the Pioneer League, as far as them kind of establishing themselves, as far as like them establishing themselves in the in the indie ball like landscape, it's something that would be worth it to them, even if it was just one year, just to kind of get their name out there and get some press and stuff like that. And of course, some winning involved with it. Of course, that's a that's an aspect of it as well. Yeah, I think I think that's an interesting part of it. But I think that I, we probably should have known that Jim Riggleman, you know, even with yeah. his age, probably wasn't going to be in a pioneer a pioneer league manager for the long haul at all. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly part of it too. But at at the end of the day, yeah, I I'd be willing to venture to say, you know, that it was kind of a a spoken but not written thing, like you're saying, where it's like. We'd like you to go out and do something to get some headlines. It would be a positive thing for both you and the league to do this. You know, just like with their uh, roundup show where they went out, they got Joe List, they got Tom Brenneman, they got, uh, oh, who was the former executive that they had on there? Oh, I'm blanking on the name right now. Angel. Oh, uh, wait, 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 wait. Bavese? Bavese was Joe, one of them. Yeah, Joe, yeah. I think Joe Bavese? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they went out and they got names like that for their show, even though. Like, the little bit that I watched, I hate to talk shit about the Pioneer League, because I honestly think they exceed their expectation and they actually take shots, which I very, very, very much appreciate them taking shots. But, I mean, that show is essentially glorified Zoom. So, like, <laughs> that, that is a problem there. The production value needs to be up a little bit. But, that said, for a first outing, they got a lot right. I'll put it like that. Absolutely. So, I mean... Yeah, they got it. They they had a great year. They did exactly in, in general. So yeah, a lot to be a lot to be happy. A lot to be excited about. Yeah. So like I, it just to me, I wouldn't be shocked if the answer to our question was, uh, we need to get some publicity. Let's go get some names that that to cooperate. So we'll see. So yeah, I mean, I respect it. I definitely do, and they got a lot right. And I look honestly, I look forward to doing the Pioneer League preview this year because I think there's going to be a lot of really positive things to say about them. Even if uh, saying anything meaningful about the on-field product is going to be a little bit tougher uh, than uh, other leagues, I I do look forward to just talking about them a bit. Cause there's a lot to be seen there. So uh, on that note, we do have one other staffing bit that we have to get to before we actually talk about the Frontier League. So uh, that said. Southern Maryland, uh, they announced their coaching staff today. Uh, Cleburne's back, fifth year as a manager. Dale Thompson's back, pitching coach, player coach. Ray Ortega, he's going to be back. He just moves from a hitting coach to a bench coach, year two for Ray. And uh, the hitting coach that gets opened up now because Ortega's no longer the hitting coach, as I just said, is going to be filled by Braxton Lee. He's going to be a player coach, so I imagine this is one way for the organization to keep Braxton I can probably hazard a guess of they need to pay him a little bit more money. There's a salary cap, so you can't really pay him more money that way, but you can play, pay a player coach more money, so you can do it this way. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was the way it gets done. 
Uh, obviously, last year, extremely good year for Southern Maryland, even if the postseason was disappointing for them. Regular season, particularly the first half, was extremely good. I believe they had like a 720 winning percentage or something crazy like that at one point. So, obviously, the staff works. The roster was good. If they can bring back a lot of the same guys, all the better for them. Not really much to say here. It's a lot of familiar faces coming back to Southern Maryland. Those faces have worked in the not-that-distant past, so no reason to expect they won't continue to work. Yeah, it, there was a no-brainer to kind of bring as much of that crew back, and I think uh, as far as the, the Braxton Lee end of things, I think that's probably what it was, and that happens, honestly, more often than you would think uh, in the new ball just because of, in a way, to kind of keep guys and keep them playing to kicking them a little extra extra money on the side as well. Just pay them as your hitting coach and, and on top of being a player as well. So, yeah, good for Braxton Lee. Daryl Thompson is going to pitch until he says, I don't want to – he's going to pitch to the Blue Crabs until he says, I do not want to pitch anymore. That or his arm falls off either or. That – well, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's possible with him, but no-brainer to bring as much of that crew back as you possibly can and try and repeat some of the same success. Absolutely. I mean – in all honesty, though, more likely than Daryl Thompson losing the desire to pitch or his arm falling off is one day he goes out to pitch and his mound's on fire. So if that's the case, <laughs> he can't really pitch in those conditions. <laughs> yeah. True. But did you see uh, Matt Latos on his Instagram posted a video of that the other day? No, I didn't actually. Oh, he posted a video from up close by where they had already lit the infield on fire, but it wasn't that bad. It was still smoldering. And then one of the ground crew threw a bucket of gasoline on it, and then it just blew up. That's that's what happens when you yeah. throw gasoline on a fire. Yeah, quite literally, you know. So I watched that, and like as I was watching the video, I was like, I almost forgot this stupid event happened. And then as I was watching, I was going, This is almost as dumb as I remember it. And honestly, it could be even dumber now. Because you already tried lighting it on fire, so you thought making it hotter would dry it out quicker as opposed to just scolding it. That's the definition of play stupid games, win stupid prizes. It really is. They messed around, they found out. That's what happened. And Yeah. I mean, that's... The more, the more you uh, frick around, the more you're going to find out. Really? I mean, that was just... That that whole series of events, that was, I can't tell if it was funny or brain dead or something in between, but it did give us one of the best titles in the history of this show. So that was a positive. Wait, which, which title, what was the title of that? It was, that one was titled, Only You Can Prevent Infield Fires. Yes. Was, yeah. was that what I came up with? Yes, you did. Oh, yes. That is by far one of the best titles in the history of this show. <laughs> And so I thank you and I thank Southern Maryland for lighting their infield on fire. Yeah. That should be Southern I, Maryland. I, I, mean, I think it was Lexington. But then that well, that was because they had turf. Yeah, see, they couldn't light their infield on fire because their mound kept breaking. That was their problem. That's, that's their, that was their problem. Exactly. But I really think that should be Southern Maryland's like end of season uh, season ticket holder event. They just light their infield on fire and have a giant bonfire. Pour gasoline on an infield fire. <laughs> you go ahead, you buy the deluxe package, we'll let you throw the bucket. And if you're a full season ticket holder, you can literally stand on the infield as the gasoline is thrown on. <laughs> if you upgrade your seats at any point in the year, we'll allow you to burn an effigy of one player in the fire. Of <laughs> your choice. Uh, these are the kinds of creative ideas they need to employ. 
Certainly. Yes. Now, exactly. of course, there's a lot of liability issues there, but don't really worry about them. Because no. you certainly weren't worried about paying the workman's comp that would have came if someone would have burned the shit out of their hand from that fire. But exactly. that's, that's all in the past. And that's enough said about Southern Maryland. We've gone in on them enough. Because now we have something interesting to talk about and to fulfill a promise we had made, which was to do these division recaps. And honestly, I look forward to doing the division recaps. I think it's going to be a real fun thing to do. And uh, in case you're unfamiliar with this, I wouldn't blame you because we haven't really done this before. Normally, we do any sort of last season. If you're not familiar with this, neither are we. <laughs> exactly. We're just making it up as we go along, as we do every week on this show. But, you know, you keep coming back for more anyway, so why why mess with them? With a system that's working, you know, exactly. so, uh, any case, so the general plan here is we're going to go through each of the teams in the Western Division of the Frontier League. We're going to say how we predicted them to do. We went back, uh, to episode 166 of this program. You can do the same if you want to listen to the whole Frontier League preview. If you want to just kind of listen along with us and review what we had said for yourself, uh, the Western Division portion of that starts at approximately the hour 14 mark. I think it's the hour 14 and 7 second mark if we want to get into specifics. any case, it's in the description of that one. The layout for every team, every section, every everything is time-stamped in that description. That's not important. What is important is we went back, we listened to it. I jotted down the general summary of what we had said, predicting for that team that season. And so we're going to go over that and then we're going to compare that to how they actually did where we went wrong where we were right and you know how those differences what our thoughts are on them uh so yeah with that said we might as well get started we'll go in the order from which we previewed them we'll review them so that means evansville is up first the evansville otters Coming into the 2022 season, they were coming off a 57 and 39 record, one of the best in team history, but they had missed the postseason by a half game. Gotta burn you, and they only really missed it because they played one more game than one other team. Uh, so that really isn't an awkward kind of situation to find yourself in. And having reviewed that roster, both Will and I were pretty much in agreement that this was a team that was going to have good pitching that they were overall solid, and that they were probably going to be a playoff team. I believe I called them a wild card team because at that point, we still hadn't gotten a firm grasp on it's just the top three in each division with one team getting a bye for the playoff system. So I refer to them as a wild card team. And fair enough to me, they did play in the wild card game. So they are a wild card team, and they were the third team in. They're a playoff team. We were right about that. They finished the season 52 and 43. So in a way, we were pretty solid on that. However, as you'll hear later on when we go over what we expect the playoffs to be versus what they actually became, we were pretty much in agreement that these were, uh, Evansville were either going to be the best team in the West or the second best team in the West. And that didn't quite work out. They were the third best team in the West. So. Taking, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, them and Schaumburg were so close, though. Yeah, I mean, they were half game apart. So, I mean, it's not terrible, but when we get to Schaumburg, uh, <laughs> we didn't uh, we didn't really think that highly of them. But as for, far as... For us. But, uh, yeah, so overall, we had set solid lineup, and I think that was pretty pretty well correct. We look at the guys that played in a majority of games, so say 60 or more. Overall, they weren't bad. You had guys like Elijah McNamee, uh, McNamee uh, he hit over 280, 
He he was a solid guy. Zach Bierman, another really solid producer. J.R. Davis was very good. There were some decent batters on this team, but the pitching was definitely what carried them. So we weren't wrong in that in that regard. Certainly, they were a good team. Uh, the guys that really did the heavy lifting on the pitching side were guys like Brad Alcock, Adcock, uh, Austin Grossman. It, those were the two main guys. Obviously, Tim Holgrafer was another guy we had mentioned in that preview, but he got his contract purchased. Parker Brahman, he was another guy that did good, got his contract purchase, and that's always the the tough part of doing these, where it's you never know who's going to be really good and get signed and who's going to be really good and stay the whole year. I mean, obviously, that's that's the hard part of doing this because you don't – you could just be talking about, like, a diff, totally different team that ends up taking the field, that ends up ending the season. But, you know, honestly, I think for Evansville, we were pretty much spot on. I mean, you know, they almost finished in third. Yeah. Uh, so I think overall, like, I mean, I'm pretty happy with it. We were pretty close and we said, you know, it's just a matter of can their offense be, be decent? And they were, eh. I mean, like, they were guess, fine, but they, they were, were okay. I guess so. And then the pitching really carried them. So I think it was we were pretty, pretty close to what that, what that actually, uh, of what they actually ended up being. I mean, uh, you know, a team that you know didn't hit for too high, didn't too, hit for too high of an average. There was some pop, but I think uh, I think overall, though, um, we were pretty close to accurate with it. And that's, but knowing us, it's probably one of the only ones we were that 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 accurate with. And I thought we're kicking it off to kick it off with a good match. Exactly. Yeah. Like like you said, we weren't that far off on them. We had them as a playoff team. They made it as a playoff team. We said they were going to be a wild card playoff team, and they were. So. Uh, that one we were right on, but as you said, it wasn't uh, wasn't as great elsewhere on. We had a lot where we were like partially right. However, one of the ones we, we were completely uh, off on was our next team here, which is the Florence Yalls. And the Florence Yalls were 57 and 38 in 2021. They had made the postseason. They lost to Schaumburg in the semifinal. And so we, we looked at the team there. They had a returning manager in his second year. They had a lot of returning talent, a really solid bullpen. You know, we there was a lot really working in their favor, and we had expect them to be kind of a a fringe playoff team in that regard. And the concern that we had mainly had, at least going back and listening to it, was we thought that this team was going to be, you know, kind of led by a couple of really solid bats, a strong bullpen, and a couple of guys here and there that were going to do a lot of the heavy lifting. And in a sense, we weren't necessarily wrong in that regard. However, we were way off on how the end result would be as their 2022 record would be a 39-56 and 56, uh, result. So not even close to the postseason. Uh, but... Our reasoning was solid at the time, and they did hit well. It's just a matter of uh, nothing really went that right for them that year. You win some, you lose some. Sometimes it rains, but I mean, overall, I think it was, it was a re- obviously a really tough year. And I don't know at least what what you thought. I don't think they should have. I don't think their record should have been as bad as it ended up being. I don't think this was a team that the talent wise was was worthy of being whatever it's like seventeen games under five hundred. However, they they weren't great. They were kind of uh, kind of mediocre pitching wise to below average. 
Uh, offensively, they uh, offensively they were kind of middle of the pack. And then, you know, they didn't get with the team that was pretty much middle of the pack and a lot of that, like, they just, they really didn't get the bounces to go their way. Lost a lot of close games. So, I don't know. I think that they weren't going to make the playoffs regardless. I don't, yeah. I don't think that is that yeah. what I'm saying. But I don't think they should have been. I don't think they were as bad as their record says they are. But at the end of the day, you're, your you are what your is, record says you are. You are what you're, that's what Beck is saying. Yeah. Uh, you are what your record says you are. And so, so at the end of the day, but I don't know if they, if talent wise, they were that they were as bad as they should have been. But or or well, yeah. Like they yeah. should have been better based off the talent that they had, and yeah, that the record is a bit misleading. Yeah, I would I would say that, and but you know what? It doesn't matter at the end of the day because they were disappointed. They were statistically an average to slightly below average team, and they lost, got some bad bounces, and it turned into a very bad season. Yeah, I think where we were wrong at is that we were saying, "Oh, this is gonna be a good bullpen team. It'll be a couple of the guys." Villa Lobos was a guy that we had kind of pointed out. Oh, he's going to be kind of the stud here. And yeah, he stayed the whole way. He was one of the few guys they actually had that started a lot of games. Only three guys start double digit games for them. And uh, Ovale, uh, Martinez, and Villa Lobos. And of them, really only Villa Lobos was, was solid enough. I mean, he had a 4 3 5 ERA in 101 innings. So not bad but also just not good enough. And they just really didn't have that anchor to start games. And once you got through three guys, it really became hodgepodge. And the bullpen really wasn't there. You had like Carl Craigie, which was a guy that I remember explicitly. I was like, oh, Craigie's going to be solid. And he just really wasn't. ERA almost five. Dowdy, another guy they went to a lot. ERA above five. Evan Brabant. Uh, he's, you know, he was fine. 64 innings, a lot of work out of that bullpen. He started six games too, so that's part of the, part of what was the situation there too. He had a decent enough ERA. Uh, Kleiman was okay. There's guys here that were okay, but I think that lack of consistency as the starting pitching position really hurt them. And when you look at the batting wise, uh, there just really wasn't enough talent to carry them there. Uh, there were some guys like Chavez who was solid, Price who was really good for them. Uh, Fleet was another guy that uh, he hit for some power there, 10 home runs, but that was about all he was doing. Axel Johnson would have, you know, one, maybe two really solid games, but then would turn around and just go cold for a while. And a lot of guys that we really needed a lot from just was not, uh, it was not happening. Harrison Nicola didn't play as much. You had a guy like Rodney Tenney, who was really good, but he only played 40 games. So that doesn't really help you much. Joe Little was probably by far, by far one of their better players in 37 games. He put up some home runs. He put up some production. But overall, it felt like this team kind of underachieved for what they were. Obviously, there was the whole Brian White issue that came about during the season as well. So that doesn't help either. And they were, you know, I don't want to say they were in a tougher division. Because one of the things we had said in this preview, and if you go back, you listen to 166, you'll hear us say over and over again, this is a really tough division, which obviously winds up being the other way around. The East was by far the better division when you compare them to. But there was a lot of equal talent when you look at the Frontier League's West division, where you look at Schaumburg, you look at Evansville, you look at Joliet, you look at Lake Erie, you look at even Gateway. They're all roughly in that same boat as far as regular season talent goes. It's about a five, six game swing in between, which I'm not going to diminish that. That's a, that's a big difference. That's probably about two or three weeks worth of play right there. But to 
be that closely together. I mean, hell, when you look at those middle three teams, there's a game and a half, two games separating them. You know, when you look at that postseason run, there's three games between making it and not making it. So, you know, again, I don't think the talent disparity was as far as it is. So we were right in that regard where it was a tight Western division because for a while it was. I think it was just one of those situations where the Yellows kind of fell behind early. They had a hard time getting back. And by the time you're trying to get your footing, uh, the race had already kind of passed you by. So uh, I'm fortunate for the Yalls, no doubt. They really weren't able to get too much going. Yeah, certainly a team that, that underachieved, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, and Chad Rhodes is now there too. So that's a that's a positive too for them. They got a new manager as well. You're right. So we move on to Gateway, a team that we were both really high on. I have as the best team in the West. You had them as the second best team in the West. And overall, they just, they didn't meet up to it. We believed in Steve Brook, I think a little bit too much. They went from 38 and 57 in 2021 to 47 and 49 in 2022. Still a big improvement. I mean, what's that nine game swing? You can't knock that. You had them being one of the most, if not the most improved team. I had them as top two in the West when we were discussing it. And we both agreed that it was going to be a good pitching team with solid batting. And we expected a playoff run from them. Um, we were not correct. There was no playoff run. There was no playoffs at all for Gateway as they would finish, in fact, third from the bottom in the West. Although, like I said, admittedly, they were only missing the postseason by a handful of games, I believe five and a half at the end. So not terrible, but way off from what we expected from this team. Yeah, they didn't. And, uh, and you're right. Maybe we gave too much, uh, kind of too much emphasis on the fact that Steve Brook was the manager. They finished the season well, but it's just really they were the, the record of 47 and 49 kind of just ended up being very, very reminiscent of how their season went. They were just pretty much mediocre and 500 throughout the entire, uh, throughout the entire slate. Yeah. I mean, we expected, uh, expected the, the pitching to be a lot better than it was. And, you know, I think they possibly would just put too much stock into, Hey, Steve Brooks going to come around and change, uh, what had been a, a pretty bad team like the, the previous year as well. So, uh, I think that. It's, not, it's definitely not that easy, even at Indy Ball when the manager's putting together a lot of the roster. I uh, thought he put together a really good team and unfortunately just didn't really uh, turn out. It didn't really turn out to be that way. Um, and I mean, Gateway definitely under underachieved, at least on expectations. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. I mean, they just didn't really come through when you needed them to come through and like you said, we put a lot of stock in the management of it, and it just didn't really work there. And when you start looking into the numbers, too, like Isaac Bernard, a guy we did mention, and say we expect big things out of him. He produced. He hit over 300. He had an on-base over 400. He had 23 home runs. Great player. Clint Freeman, another guy, 16 home runs. Great player. Trevor Achenbach, 20 home runs. Great player. Abel Diaz, he played a lot of games. He didn't really do much on that front there. And Andrew Penner was a very productive uh, shortstop for them as well, batting nearly 289 home runs. I mean, like, whatever there. But when you get outside of that, nobody else really came close. Jay Prather played 90 games as well, too. But outside of that, you had a bunch of guys playing 50 or less. Our guy, Zach Kuzin, he did all right. Kevin Krause wound up going over there and just dominating as well after his whole uh, little Stan Island incident. But, 
you know, outside of that, it's just, it wasn't much there. And, you know, we've said a lot of this team's success is going to be based off of pitching and it just wasn't there, uh, point blank. Uh, you look, they had four regular starters, Stephen Ridings, JP Williams, Carson LaRue, and Brandon Feldman were the main guys there. And in the order of Feldman through Ridings, 418, 488, 567, 534. Not good enough. It's just not going to be good enough. Simple as that. I didn't realize Nick Kennedy also pitched here. Nick Kennedy's one of my guys. I didn't realize he got in 29 innings for them too. He didn't do anything, but overall still the pitching wasn't there and the batting wasn't nearly good enough to uh, make up for the difference. So uh, that's how that's going to happen. And when it does happen, uh, I don't know what to tell you. You're not, not that good of a ball club. Yeah, not not a good team, and we'll see, we'll see if anything changes this year. But they have to kind of work from scratch, I think, on the pitching end of things. I'd agree with that too. But I will say, I, there was improvement, though. I think that's one thing we should point out. They still was a nine-game swing for improvement. So Brook did help this team. There were positives here to take away. It's just there's more work that needs to be done in a division yeah. that, especially looking at 23, looks like Washington and Schaumburg are going to be two mainstays in the postseason. So it's going right. to be uh, very interesting to see. On that note, we'll go to uh, the fourth team on this list, which is the Joliet Slammers. 39 and 56 in uh, 2021. We expected a good managing hire in Dan Slareth. He was pretty much the only thing we talked about. It was a mediocre roster. We were saying uh, roster just not good enough. Uh, Charpie, Cook, Kirst. These are three pitchers that we looked at. I think Briley Ware was another guy. We said, oh, he's an interesting player too, but there just really wasn't enough there. Said no playoffs, bottom half. Looking at it in retrospect, they did better than we thought. They were in a playoff race. We got a half right. They didn't make the postseason, but they weren't in that bottom half of the division that we expected. They were right in the middle of things, right in the thick of things. So uh, a much better season than expected. I think the biggest reason for that is their pitching was uh, a lot better and a lot better than we, we thought it was going to be. Uh, and the pitching, I mean, they're third in the league in, ER, in team ERA at just over four uh, earned runs allowed a game at 401. And so I think that when you're, when you're behind teams like, like Quebec and Evansville, you're, you're clearly doing something right on the pitching end of things. So, but you know, the, of course their problem was just the, the offense. They just not, did not get enough, uh, did not get enough production from, did not get enough uh, run producing from. That's definitely the place they're going to really have to hit on this offseason. But I, th- I think the one thing that the positive thing that Julia could take, and you can credit some of that to Schlereth as well if you want to, uh, that this pitching staff was significantly better uh, from from a season ago. So it's a good sign that Joliet's continuing to uh, continuing to build uh, and certainly could take a lot of good things from from their pitching team that ended up – making them a team that got that was a winning team this year absolutely that's definitely a, a huge point there and i agree with you. We, we were very surprised by the pitching staff i mean we got it right with cook and sharpie both guys with ERAs near uh under three i mean 322 on cook 304 for uh Charby, but you had spot on as good as they were pitching they were that bad batting and i do think there's a lot here though that is going to be very good i think they are kind of a team to watch here Going forward, Tanner Kears was even a solid guy out of the bullpen as well. I'd like to see him in another year in Joliet. Turner Larkins, maybe he gets to have some more time there now. Uh, I believe he was a midseason trade with uh, Tri-City, if I'm not mistaken. Either way, that's the one thing about them. 
And they bring back a lot of these guys. Ofter Hyde as well. I think there's a really good team to be had here. Talking more on that batting. They also were fairly consistent. They had right about the same seven guys for most of the season. Jacobson, Birch, Barrymore, Carson Maxwell, TDJ, Ware, and uh, McGarry. They were all, you know, pretty mainstays here, but only Birch, I would say, really pulled his weight. Maybe, maybe wanted to go Maxwell too, 17 home runs. So, but he didn't really make up for, uh, you know, him and Ware. I should say Ware. So Maxwell, Ware, and Birch. Those three, I think, are pretty solid pieces you can build around. Everybody else, I'd like to see either better seasons out of them or upgrades at those positions. But yeah, I think they were, I think so far we can say that they were probably the most surprising team or arguably the most improved team. They had a better record than Gateway had. They were starting from basically the same spot. So uh, Joliet, I think so far, is one of my real surprise teams. And they did better than expected, but just not good enough. So I'd agree with a lot of what you said. Maybe expecting any sort of playoff appearance probably wasn't re- wasn't realistic for them, but just yep. a lot of solid building blocks. I agree. I think there is a good team to be had within that group of players. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we do the preview in a couple of months from now, Joliet's going to be a team that I can kind of highlight as a team we're going to talk about a lot. So, for sure. Uh, on that note, we go over to Lake Erie, a team that was forty-one and fifty-five coming into the season. Uh, we expected a very thin roster from them, low expectations. Uh, you were really highlighting a possible Gunnar Kynes resurgency. I was saying let's focus on Caleb Schmidt possibly evolving into a true star. We didn't expect playoffs. We expected big struggles. Again, very similar to Joliet. They overperformed our expectations. They improved on their season. They improved by about eight games, 49 and 57. They didn't make the postseason, but they were right in the middle of things Um so, again, a half right here, but a team that still had some major flaws. Right, and I think there that this was a squad that was definitely at least overperformed, um, overperformed our expectations. A team that you know, I definitely didn't like what, what I saw in the pitching end of things, and they were they were ended up being kind of mediocre in that area. So uh, I think that, that was certainly a plus um, as well. You know, just uh, they they ended up being just about. Um, I, I, it's interesting because Lake Erie was the, as far as runs scored, were was last in the league if you take out Empire State. And yes, I I'm taking out Empire State out of most of these stats because they're going to be last in everything. Uh, so you're looking forward and, to doing the the. I just want to interrupt quickly to go. We're looking forward to talking about Empire State in length next week, correct? Oh my gosh, that's going to be the quickest of the team we do. Uh, we were dead right, actually. We overestimated them some. No, we we way overestimated them. Uh, but yeah, the Lakers' offense really struggled, and their pitching was mediocre. But hey, they they found a way to win some close games as well. Um, but yeah, the offense really struggled and was not very good. Uh, they they. Got on base a decent amount, didn't hit for much power at all. Uh, and so I, I think that part was interesting, but you know, uh, the pitching was mediocre and they, hey, they found a way to win uh, some close games and probably make them overachieve. But I don't think that they had uh, a roster that was capable of making the, making the playoffs last year for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, when you have Brian De La Rosa as one of your experienced guys, not quite a veteran, but one of the experienced guys on the team, 
getting meaningful reps at catcher, 36 games worth, over 100 at bats worth, and he gets 177. He's better. He better be bringing an awful lot to the table defensively. Armando Escobar, another guy, a veteran guy, 16 games, 228. You know, they didn't really have much. Casey Combs wound up doing most of the catching, it appears, as a rookie, batting 255. So, you know, he kind of, I guess, was the best of that. But there wasn't an awful lot of guys that were getting, you know, a lot of games. There were some guys, you know, Austin White, 69 games. Frigoridio, I believe it's how it would be. But he got 80 games, regardless of how you say his name. Connor Owings, Jackson Valeria, Kenan Izari. A, those guys were playing multiple games. Azari nearly played every game, and he was probably one of the better players, along with Valeri, both of them, uh, 287, 292, respectively, over 10 home runs each. Connor Owings, 18 home runs. So there were guys. There were like three or four guys I think they could hit, but everybody else, just not enough. Kamel Thomas Rivera is a rookie guy who I kind of expect to be Brack. Uh, I'd imagine uh, Lemieux brings him back, although I do notice Lemieux is bringing a lot of a lot of Jackal guys, which makes sense given that he's coming from the Jackals too. So I would definitely say that. Although I do think the jury's kind of out if we count a 404 in 91 innings, a resurgence for Gunner Kynes. Do we count that as a resurgence for Gunner Kynes? No, no. Okay, good. Because like, I think it's better than I expected from him because he was really up and down here. Or Gambrielli. He was a he was a solid pitcher as well too. I mean, three seventy five. I expect him back. I expect Mulhern back as well with a three fifty five. I think that I I will say this. I kind of view him in the same way as Joel. Yet there was a lot of really surprising seasons here from guys I didn't expect them from. And overall, I think there's a base to work with here. And supplemented correctly, this could be a team that could be a playoff team next year. But I think we saw enough from them to say. They weren't going to be that last year, and they were never really a threat looking back in the rear view. They were never going to be that kind yeah. of like, oh, we got to watch out. We have Lake Erie on the schedule in the same way where Joliet was. Yeah, they just didn't have that type of firepower um, on, on their team in any sense, but um, certainly some surprising seasons, and maybe that could turn into a playoff appearance this year. Maybe maybe they would go back to being what they were the, the previous year. I don't know. So they, they had a lot of guys that overachieved. Uh, being around 500, I think you could look at it as a successful season for them. We'll have to, not, we'll have to see if uh, they can repeat it. Yep, absolutely. So we got three teams left to do out here in the West, and we go to Schaumburg next, a 51-45 and 45 team in 2021. They had won the championship the year prior. They finished the 2022 season with an improved record, 53-54. and 54. However, we were expecting some regression. There was a lot of doubt. We kind of believed that their record was more honest of what they were, right? That they were a team that was, you know, Six games above 500, but not really the best team in the Frontier League. That there were pieces like Arjona, uh, Thompson. These were guys were solid pitchers. Braxton Davison was a good bat, but the rest of the lineup was questionable. And were they going to find that big bat? We were so questioning this team that we had put them as a fringe playoff team, wild card bound. And in all honesty, they did play in the wild card game. They had a slightly better record than Evansville, only grant you by about, I mean, actually, I think they had the same records. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they had a, a game, a record similar there. So, you know, we weren't necessarily wrong about that, but they are a team that is a playoff-built team. I think that's fairly safe to say. 
we were definitely wrong. And I, I still don't uh, disagree overall with the with I guess the reasoning behind it. Yeah. Uh, just because uh, I think that you know I, I think just with the the way that playoffs you know playoffs in baseball work, uh, you can get hot at the right time and. They were pretty much an average team that won a bad division and got hot the pre- previous year. So I, I think it was yeah. reasonable to expect some regression. Now in a better division, or with with some of the bigger boys, and then you know what? But they they really stood they 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 stood up, um, and they played some really good baseball, and they they definitely outperformed our expectations. Probably not their own, uh, but I mean, it was a it was a overall is like a middle of the pack. A group on offense, uh, but you know they they pitched pretty well overall. You know, Schomburg does uh, does what they did and perform. They outperform expectations, so maybe we should adjust ours. Exactly, like that was the one thing that as I was listening to that episode, I was going through making notes. I was like, next time we do these previews, when we do these previews, come May, I'm not making this mistake again and doubting them. And doubting how far they're going to go. In yeah. fact, I'm going to be the one that goes. Honestly, I, I'll, I'll give you a preview. I'm going to say in May. If they can get to the postseason, I expect them to make the championship game. I mean, hell, they did it two years in a row now. And they lost to a Quebec team that, as you will hear when we talk about them next week, we both had very high expectations for Quebec. We said they were going to be one of the best teams in the league. They were. And uh, they proved w. it. Yeah. I mean, their, their roster is stacked. I mean, it was... It was dripping with talent. So, you know, it's it's one of those teams. But even still, Schaumburg won three straight games. They won three straight going right into Quebec. They bounced back after losing one to Quebec, tied it up. After that, you know, kind of got out of hand. But even still, if you go into the minutiae of those games, they were close games. All of them were close games. So, overall, it was a solid team. And they got performances when they needed them. I mean, like, they got Chase Dawson, who had a very, very good year. You know, 310. Five home runs, but a lot of timely hitting there. Salas was a guy that gave them meaningful time. He found ways to kind of get on base, although he did strike out an awful lot. Uh, Clint Hardy was a solid player. Brett Malazzo was a solid player. Uh, Nick Otto playing 71 games while batting under 200 and having an on base under 300. As, uh, <laughs> that was a decision when he strikes out nearly 70 times in 71 games. You know, there's decisions made there. I'm assuming he's really good behind the plate. Uh, Blake Grant Parks is a solid veteran presence. Uh, you know, Matt Botcher was a very good guy in 40 games, hitting nearly 400. That's that's a lot of production there. Mike Hart gave them nearly 20 home runs. You know, there was some really talent there on the, uh, on the batting side, better than I think we expected. Pitching-wise, I mean, you could kind of point to them being a little bit weaker. They lost some really talented guys, too. Middendorf's the guy that immediately jumps to mind. Tanner Shears is the guy who just got signed uh, this past week, if I'm not mistaken. But Kristen Stout was a very talented guy. Jake Joyce is a talented guy. Thomas Nicole, he had his moments. He had some... Daryl Thompson was a guy that, you know, it seems like if you play any ball, your name is Daryl Thompson. You're destined to be a good pitcher. That's just the the rules of the game. But there's a lot of guys here that did perform. It's just starting pitching-wise really wasn't there, which is a problem that we've noted before on this show, finding that. Overall, there was a lot of talent there, and it just seems like the makeup of this team is very much uh, don't let us get there because once we are there, we're not leaving type of team. So 
like I I agree with what you what you said in the beginning of this review where we said, you know, the reasoning for why we doubted Schomburg is still sound. It just didn't really work out. I I agree with that because in theory and on paper, it shouldn't have worked out. It just somehow did. Ladies and gentlemen, I present the Schomburg Boomers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what they do. Yeah. On to uh, one of the last two teams and probably the last one we actually get right here, which is the Washington Wild Things, a team that we said was a playoff lock, although we pretty much locked them into the three seed, which is where we're not exactly right here, but they were 56 and 40 the previous year. We're going to stop locking teams into specific spots. I mean, <laughs> it's we, not the one. The problem is we explicitly said several times on that episode, they're a lock for the three. They're the three seed. Did we? We did. I just listened oh. to this thing five hours ago. We did. Rough. I know. Why we were locking teams into the three seed, I don't know. Stupid. We should not do that this year. The problem is we got high on Gateway. We got way too high on Gateway in Evansville, which, to be fair, as far as Evansville goes, there were stretches of last year where they looked like the team that we said they were going to be. They just wound up disappointing us in the end. But, and Gateway was just, we were wrong on that one. We were wrong. Okay, but Washington, we both had him as a three. We locked him as a three. We were wrong in that res- assumption here. They, we said they were a deep pitching team. They had a really, really good pitching team, borderline elite and good batting. But we said it's such a tough division. It's going to be hard for them to beat out other teams if they hit a little bit of a snag. And they just never really did because they wound up winning 62 games and only losing 34 from and ending the season on a six game winning streak, riding the f- number one seed in the postseason where they would then wind up being swept by Schomburg. But, you know. It's just, you you just got to, like, you play Schomburg in the playoffs. Like, it doesn't matter how good you were. Like, you're going to lose. Yeah. Like, it, and sorry. That's, that's the thing, too. Like, I really feel bad for the Wild Things, right? Because, like, you look at this team and you have Andrew Check, 305. Ian Walters, 284. Uh, Wagner Lagrangier, uh, 346. Uh, Scotty Dabrul, uh, 317. Walters also hit 13 home runs. Nick Ward, I mean, Nick Ward, I mean, he, he hit 19 home runs and batted 350. And he had an on base of over 475. Then you could even continue down. You have another 300 hitter in Anthony Bricado, who hits 24 home runs along with it. Jared Mang, a guy that we looked and said, oh, he'll be gone in Lake Erie. Then wound up not playing for Lake Erie, but he was still very good. He had 250 and had nine home runs. Productive player in 62 games. Cole Brennan was another really good player. 280, 23 home runs. This team could slug. Tristan Peterson, another guy who was really good. Batting over 332 games. The guys, when they got in, they played and they they played good. I mean, you could look at really any batter. They weren't bad at all. Then, of course, when you take a look at the... Uh, and when you look at the pitching side of things, they're just as good. I mean, you've got still Cabrera, 342, Whalen, 350, Darren Osby in a three hole out of 396. That's a solid one, two, three punch. Kayla, uh, Kobe Foster, my mistake. He was a revelation as a rookie. You know, he had an ERA yeah. of one in 63 innings, an ERA of one as a starter. It's just insane. Hayden Pierce is another guy, a 5-12 VRA. You know, Stephen Knapp, Justin Showalter, other guys that got some meaningful starts in there too, both under four. Like, this was a really, really good team. You know, I don't think we're even, like, 
overhyping them from what they were. As far as starters go, they were they were legit pitching wise. Christian James in his fifty two innings, he was he was not bad. He got a lot of work there. Struck out nearly a guy in inning. Now he let up some runs, but I mean that's part of doing business. Uh, Kubiak was also very good. Three twenty one. Pearson. 348, uh, Lucas, uh, yeah, Lucas Young, uh, 166, there was a lot of guys here that were really, really, really good, and overall, man, like, this is a team that shouldn't have went out the way they did, and I hate to say it, but they went out sad, too, like, you can't get swept like that, so. That's baseball, that's baseball, though, it's, it's so tough when you, when Washington was so clearly, I mean, I mean, they essentially led wire to wire uh, in the West, and yeah. they and clearly the best team got the one seed, got the buy, and unfortunately, like they, it just came up short, and then nothing went right in that in the, in the playoff series, and it's just that's that's unfortunately the cruel reality of of any baseball league postseason, and uh, it's not really a reflection on their roster because they were stacked, they were loaded. I mean, they got so many guys to perform. Like the guys that they needed to perform performed, and even uh, and even some guys that you didn't expect jumped up and performed. That's how you get to sixty-two and thirty-four. They're doing something right there. It's just when is the year that they're going to break through come postseason time? And it wasn't last year, but if they keep putting together uh, these kind of rosters. Then you'd think it's coming. It has to. It has to come at some point. Eventually, they can try and win this thing. It has to be. Two years in a row, they've been knocked out by Schomburg. Once in a championship game, once in a semifinal. You know, like, are we one more year of postseason success away and failure, or postseason uh, failure, but regular season success? Are we one more year of that away from saying, okay, this is just a team that can't win the postseason? From calling them the Buffalo Bills? I, I really don't want to call them the Bills, but yeah, I mean, like, they're they're turning into a Buffalo Bills, a Toronto Maple Leafs, perhaps even. They're or, not. I don't think. I don't think they're on that level yet. But you know, will we call them the Dallas Cowboys yet? Um, I'd say close to that. Because I mean, there's a lot of similarities. They're really good regular season, a lot of talent, but just can't close the door. They can't just yeah. take that next step and and win in the most pressure of situations. So, I mean, really, though, going from Schaumburg to Washington is like a tale of two cities, you know. One team that did what they had to do, got in, and then took care of business, and one team that just kind of cruised on through, and then they ran into a buzzsaw. I mean, like that's the hard part I have when reviewing Washington is there is so much good that they did, but it's almost all for nothing when you don't win even a game in the postseason. So it's hard to say. Like, is it a success? Is it a failure? I don't really know. Because like if you were Washington, you went in with the with the idea of we're gonna win a championship. Like there was very few teams that I think last year we could arguably or un- inarguably say championship or bust. I think it was like them. I would say Quebec was on that list. And, per- yeah, yeah. and perhaps because we were really high in Tri-City too, perhaps Tri-City on that list as well. You know, like those are teams that were like, we're not just making the postseason, we're going far. Now, Tri-City, obviously, yeah. they they had their issues. But Washington and Quebec was kind of like 
especially as we started talking about this in season, we're like, that's going to be their championship matchup, and it's going to be a fantastic five-game series, and we don't know who's going to win. And then, you know, you fall short. So I, I don't really know if I can call it a success or not. It's not a failure, but it's also not like a No, it's not success. a failure. It's not a failure because you, baseball, you play the most regular season games, and it comes down to the fewest postseason games. And unfortunately, uh, that's what happened with Washington. So it's, it's not a failure, but, you know, you just hope they can break through at some point. You would hope. And uh, like I said, I, like the more we do the review, the more I'm looking forward to talking about this again in a couple months when we really go through each of these teams. Because yeah. there's going to be an awful lot. Like, obviously, storylines are hard to produce on this level, but there are definitely some storylines I'm already looking at for next year. But, you know, uh, with that said, though, we do have one more team we got to review, and we should probably get to that. The Windy City mm-hmm. Thunderbolts, which were 43 and 53 and 21. We expected, you know, uh, not much depth on this roster. The definition of a mid-team missed the postseason, but not last. It, we explicitly said that as well. They won't be the worst team in the West, but they're not going to be a postseason contender. Well, they were the worst. Yeah, 33-62. and 62, not By good far. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say by far. Florence was, you know, ahead of them, but I mean, one. There's a six-game difference. Okay, fair enough. I was trying to be nice to them, but okay, fine. They weren't good at all. Um, but yeah, there was some potential there, but they're really, it just never showed up. I mean, there's, we could try to be nice about this, but, um, they didn't hit well at all. Worst hitting team outside of, uh, Empire State pitching wise wasn't much, if at all, better. So, uh, yeah, I don't really know what, what more we could say other than disappointing year in, uh, Windy City. Well, I think the the only thing you could say was it was time for a regime change, and that's what they got. Right. So uh, I think that's that's the only logical place you could really go from there from a season like that when you go thirty three and sixty two, and that's what yeah the offense was terrible, the pitching was bad. It's it was just a, a season to forget, and I think after that you gotta you gotta kind of clean house and start from scratch. And hey, that's exactly what they're doing. So yeah, uh, and to the Richie Sexton era starting uh, starting this year in year one. So uh, yeah, just a total season to forget. Uh, but I think it justified a regime change, and we'll see what kind of uh, if if anything changes with a, with a new face at the head. Yeah, I mean like they've gone through several. Coaches and uh, or my mistake. I don't want to offend the the coaches out there. Several managers since they were last great. Uh, I mean, like Brian Martinez is a guy that's been around for a while. He probably comes back. Dan Robinson has earned a spot back. I think batting two seventy on one of the worst hitting teams deserves some uh, some recognition. Likewise, Daryl Myers. You know, he hit over three hundred. Probably the better better or best hitter on this team. Um, I understand it's not really a a, uh, a hitter-friendly park, but, you know, it just didn't really produce anything. So any sort of success is probably, you know, worthwhile. But you'd think if it's not like a hitter's ballpark, you'd have better pitching, but it's not. You know, I mean, Kenny Matthews was solid. He was good. He was probably their best starter. Yeah. But uh, outside of that, I'm like looking around here. I'm trying to find other people here. Uh, Lane Schnitz-Paxson was also pretty solid, under 2 ERA. Definitely positive there. I think there's some guys here, but overall, um, I also have like say Matthews, Schnitz, Paxton, Robinson, Myers, and maybe maybe Martinez. And I'm trying to find if there's anybody else. Maybe 
maybe a Spillane. It's not a good sign. Yeah, like outside of that, like I, I'm gotta be real with you. I don't think there's anyone on this team that I say must come back next year. I, I think everything's open as far as roster goes. I don't think there's, there's too much here that, you know, you really want to say. And that's the thing too. Like I don't even really know how to review them because we never really spent any time talking about them this year. You know, like I'd assume you have the all-star game. You want to put out a pretty solid team. So that way you could have a decent number of your own guys there. But I just don't really know. Uh, I just don't really know who's going to be that guy. Like, hopefully they could do some big moves. But uh, yeah, we'll see. There's just not a lot here. So, yeah. They, they, they needed a regime change. They got it. And we'll see what happens. <laughs> exactly. So as far as just recapping everything else, we both had Evansville Gateway Washington as our postseason. I had Gateway in the one. You had Evansville in the one. That's the only minor difference. We we each had the other's two seed going on. So you had Gateway uh, making the final. I had Evansville making the final. We were both wrong on that. Evansville made the postseason. Washington made the postseason. And then Schaumburg made the postseason. So obviously, um, we got two out of the three right. But we that's pretty much where it ended as far as getting that right. So I suppose the best way to wrap up this review is just by doing a little bit of a fun exercise here at the end, which is we're going to go through three uh, questions here, our three thought points to wrap this up, which we're going to start with. In 2022, the most surprising Frontier League West Division team was... Uh, is it cheating to say the Washington Wild things? No, I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair uh, answer. I, I think I think it's just because I think we knew there would be it'd be solid and it'd be a solid team. I don't think, I, and I I just think them winning sixty five games was such a big surprise. Well, sixty two games, but yeah. Sorry, excuse me. It, yeah, sixty two. Close enough. That, I mean, like it's still a feat. Yeah, winning winning the nine games that they that they did, winning the division comfortably wire to wire. I think that. To be honest, to me, that has to register as the biggest surprise. Like, I definitely agree on some level. I think that the level of success they had was definitely the most surprising thing. I mean, we just spent a lot of time talking about them, so I, I don't really see the need to rehash it. But I do think that's a lot of it. For me, though, the most surprising team was Joliet. This was a team that hadn't done well, that we really didn't expect a lot out of. And we called it a mediocre roster and a team that would be in the bottom half of the division and instead they were in contention up until pretty much the last 10 days of the season. A team that missed the postseason by three and a half games, so not that far off, finished on a winning streak. Granted, they finished 500 in their last 10, was still a fairly good team, a fairly solid team, and a team that really is looking on the up, as we just discussed. So I'm going to say they were my most surprising team. If for no other reason, then there was a lot of good that they did that I just really didn't see coming out of them. And if they could get, you know, half of that good back this upcoming season with now a year of managerial experience from Slareth and maybe get a couple extra bats, maybe go ahead and return that pitching, like I said, I, I could see them pushing again for a playoff spot. Maybe not necessarily getting it, but definitely keeping things interesting. So for me, Joliet was my most surprising. I think that's fair. I think that'd probably be my number two team, but yeah. But uh, yeah, so on that note, we'll go to uh, question two, which is in 2022, the Frontier League West team that was most disappointing was? 
I think we should. I think we should. Uh, well, actually, I, I think we should just say this one in unison, Nick. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was gateway. <laughs> gateway. Yeah, gateway, gateway all the way. Gateway. We both really thought highly of them, and I mean, again, as I said, it was an improved team. They got better. You know, nine game improvement for one season is no small feat. I mean, it really wasn't. But man, they leave a lot to be desired. Yeah. With the talent that was on that roster, you know. Yeah. So it's just a definite disappointment. Exactly. Like, honestly, if they would have even missed a postseason, but, you know, put up, say, 50 wins, I think it would have been a lot better. If they would have finished, say, 51 and 44, missing it by a game, it would right. still be disappointing, but it'd be like, okay, well, anything could happen, really. And. We didn't expect Washington to be as good as they were or Schaumburg to have the success they did. So, you know, I, there's ways we got to justify it. But going under 500, a nine-game improvement is good, but not good enough for what they had. So, yeah. Right. In right, question, and last point here, or last thought, whatever you want to call it. In 2022, the Frontier League West team that uh, was the most interesting was the most interesting yeah not necessarily the best not necessarily the worst but the most intriguing ah it's a tough one the most intriguing all right the 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 most interesting or the most intriguing oh wait are the well those i mean they're basically the same I mean, take it whichever way you want. You know, you know. I'll tell. I'll, I'll go this route. I'm going to take Lake Erie. Lake Erie. Uh, okay. I'm going to say they were so interesting because uh, of really, um, you know how how poor they were offensively, and they were still uh, they, they were very poor offensively during the season. Their pitching was mediocre, and they still managed to win a bunch of close games and be 49 and 47. I think, to me, that qualifies as, as being an interesting team, the most interesting. You know, that's certain. I see the reasoning behind it, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. I'm going to take a bit more of a boring route. For me, the most interesting team was Schaumburg and how they just managed to flip a switch when the calendar hits September. Yeah. They're just like, oh, it's after Labor Day. Guess it's time to go to work now. And they just demolished the teams they had to demolish, and they just kept on keeping on. I guess is the best way of putting it. And I mean, they had the performances they needed when they needed them. They continued to do well. Like that is intriguing to me how they just managed to keep doing this year after year after year after year. And I'm gonna be very interested to see if they can continue to do it and find a third year where they do this shit again. So you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of teams here that I'm looking forward to reviewing. And I mean, yeah. if, if you want to throw a bonus one in here, which team are you looking forward to reviewing the most in a couple months from now when we do you, the front? You mean you mean previewing? Yeah, previewing, reviewing. You know what I meant? Yeah. Well, the, despite the fact that they're complete opposite terms, I, but uh, if it's opposite day, then they mean the same thing. Yeah, the team that I am most interested in previewing, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say. Hmm, Joliet. Joliet. All right. Is yeah. that just is that based off of just like the the surprise factor from them or? Yeah, just to see. I, yeah, I think just taking an in depth look at it and say, hey, in, in Schleyer's year two there, what kind of strides can they take forward? 
uh, this year. Could they be a playoff team? I think that that's the team I'm most interested in. I can see that. For me, I, I'm going to go. I'm I'm torn between two, admittedly. The two I'm kind of torn between are Gateway and Washington. Because Washington on the hand of, they're the kind of team where it's like, I know they're going to put a quality team out here. But I'm curious to see if they're going to add one or two guys that are going to go out. And obviously a lot happens between, you know, the May opening day and the Labor Day end of year. There's a lot that's going to happen. But I'm curious to see if they're going to be able to get a couple of dogs that are just going to go in and they're just not going to allow their team to lose in the postseason. And on the flip side with Gateway, I'm kind of interested to see, is this just like a one-year spike in that, oh, they got better, and now they're going to go right back to where they've usually been over the last decade or so, which is the bottom. Yeah, literally a decade. Yeah. You know, are they going to go back to the basement, or are they going to continue that improvement? I don't expect another nine-game improvement. You know, if they manage to go ahead and win 56 games next year, you know, then, hey, I'm going to be pleasantly surprised. That would have put them comfortably in second place in the West. and the East, it would have put them in a dead heat with Ottawa for that last playoff spot, which next week's going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of teams that we're going to have a discussion about. But I'm curious. I think I'm going to go Gateway just for that reason. Are they going to improve again? Are they going to be that wild card contender again? Or... Are they going to regress? Or is this just, the, is this where they are? Are they a 500 club? You know, like, I'm curious about that. So I guess Gateway is my surprise team. But, you know, we'll, all of this and more in the future, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, there we go. I think that we just, we just talk about everything that you could possibly talk about in the Frontier League Western Division. Exactly. And I hope it was entertaining. I mean, uh, I guess with all that, we gave you enough to chew on. So we'll go to the plugs and then we'll get out of here. Uh, and we'll start those plugs by seeing where you can find the show, which is, you know, you can find us on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can find us on Instagram at ALBB underscore news and at IndieBallReport. You can also uh, find the show wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Any major podcast platform like Spotify will have us. So... Rate, review, subscribe if you can. Help the show grow. We're also on our own website, IndieBallReport.com. Recently, I spent five hours updating every single embedded player on the website. So they all now go to the Podbean feed, which is the feed that we use going forward. So if you see a non-Podbean player or one that doesn't relate to like a Spotify or an app like that, then... uh, that's probably not going to work. But if you see the Spotify embedded player, if you see an Apple embedded player, a Podbean one, those are all working. So every link essentially is now up to date. Also on the website, going to have some more content coming up soon. And we're also having show notes. So if you want to, you know, go back and listen to episode 166. And here are exact thoughts and previews for the 2022 season. You could do that. You could find links to that uh, Johnny Briggs classic. Links to everything on the website. Uh, with that said, do we have anything else left to add this week? Well, it's almost last. This is the last show of January. Yes, it is. Uh, just want to say, tomorrow, Hofstra Pride, College of Charleston. Charleston, 20-1 and one, uh, on the season, on a 20-game winning streak, only lost at UNC. Uh, Barely and lost that Ho- one, too. And, and Hofstra is going to go down to Charleston, 18th-ranked team in the nation. 
They're going to beat him tomorrow. And I say tomorrow, knowing that fully, fully knowing that this episode will be playing today. So feel free, if the Hofstra Pride pull off the road upset, beating a nationally ranked team, feel free to congratulate me because I'm speaking it into existence now. You know, I love the optimism, and I really wish they would have played on a Friday night so that way we could either get the optimism or the heartbreak fresh for that nice Saturday morning delivery. Yeah, but, you know, I have, I have faith. I think they're going to do it. They're only six-and-a-half-point dogs. Vegas knows. Vegas knows how things are dogs. Vegas knows. So what you're they saying knows. is I should put money on Hofstra. Yes. Okay. That's, that's, that's well noted. That's good and well noted. I'll take my DraftKings startup money, and I will uh, put it all in the Hofstra pride. And if they lose, I will... Uh, I'd say I'd send you a Venmo request, but I don't do any of that banking stuff like oh, that. Oh, Google Pay request. It's my non-existent account. <laughs> I'm going to send you a PayPal request. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, only thing I got left to add uh, is for like the past, I guess, four weeks now, I've been saying, I'm going to put out the movie review and everything like I normally do. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Every time I try to record that little end bit, it always goes between 15 minutes and half an hour. And that just seems like it's way too much to tack on to the end of an episode. So I'm probably just going to throw in a bonus episode that will come out sometime in uh, in the middle of February, probably, because that's more than likely when we'll have a dead week where it'll be, uh, you know, a week where there's just not too much going on, no interviews or anything like that. So I could just toss it out on like a Wednesday or a Thursday for y'all to listen to. So expect a bonus episode where I just go into depth about movies. That's pretty much all I got to add. And what's nice about the bonus episodes is, if you're not interested, you can just skip it and you miss nothing at all. But uh, I guess you can say that about the regular shows, too. If you're not interested, you can just skip it and you miss <laughs> nothing at all. Hell, even if you are interested, sometimes you don't miss anything. But uh, you have to listen to make sure you don't miss anything. So, uh, with that said, you're not going to miss anything more here because we're all done this week. But don't forget to play ball.